Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. I'm really excited about the word that um, I'm going to speak on because it's not something I would typically preach about. But, you know, I felt the Holy Spirit uh, kind of just tell me what he wanted me to do. So you've just got to do these things sometimes. And, and so uh, we've been in this series called Soar. These are principles that cause you to be elevated, principles that will elevate your life. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those that trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So we've been looking at different themes such as honor and humility, uh, generosity, all of these great things. And when I was praying about what to uh, preach at this one, I was going to preach on something else. Um, It's actually movement, and I still might do that at some stage. But I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to preach on this, and it's probably the most basic kind of uh, principles that will elevate our lives. But I want to speak to us this morning about prayer. And some of you are thinking, duh, of course, Christians, it's what we do. But I just want to have a look at a pattern of prayer in particular. And um, I want to look at uh, the fact that for many of us, we have to uh, have our maybe our mindset about prayer adjusted. Because uh, maybe like me, I kind of used to treat prayer like a means to an end. If I do this for you, God, then here's my list. This is what I'm believing for. But I understood that God's not a means to an end. He's the ultimate end. That the prize is never the thing. It's actually God himself. It's actually his presence. And that God is not a vending machine that if I press A6, I'm going to get the can of Coke that I want. That if I do this for God and do that, then God's going to give me. No, no, no. It's not about uh, some sort of formula because he's actually our father. It's about intimacy and relationship. And so I want to talk about a pattern of prayer that I've discovered. um, And it's something that I've been praying recently that... uh, God has spoken to me about and shown me. And and I want to share it um, with us this morning. And so um, without further ado, why don't you bring that out? And please don't be alarmed. Um, I I wouldn't usually do this, but yes, I have gotten the uh, whiteboard out. And um, and Tack is going to, he's going to continue playing. It kind of, you know, don't be fooled by the whiteboard. He's going to continue to make me sound spiritual by playing softly in the background. So, um, So it's cool. But I want to talk about the pattern of prayer, that there is a a pattern of prayer that I have seen in the Bible that uh, I didn't read about, I haven't heard about, but it's just something that I discovered while I was actually praying, funnily enough. And and for many of us, maybe there's a pattern of prayer that you follow. Um, I don't know, many people will pray kind of similar to the Lord's Prayer, you know, uh, not just those words, but what each line means, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So that's honour. So we start our prayers with honour. Or or, or maybe um, I sometimes do this, I'll pray the Psalms. 
I've been praying Psalm 61 recently, um, which has been really helpful. And I'll just read it through and I'll pray it. I'll speak it as a prayer. You know, uh, hear my cry, O Lord, from the ends of the earth. I pray and uh, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's Psalm 61. Maybe it's Psalm 23 for you. You know, I'm going through this valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Um, Sometimes people journal their prayers. I will sometimes do this. I will write out my prayers. Sometimes just speaking them aren't enough. Sometimes to get clarity, I'll just write them out. Um, or, or maybe you've heard of something called the Tabernacle Prayer that Dr. Yongi Chow, um, the uh, pastor of the, who's passed away um, since, but he's the pastor of the largest church in human history, church of almost a, a million people in uh, South Korea. And um, the uh, Tabernacle Prayer is basically um, a prayer where you look at the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness and every element it represents something. So when you come into the tabernacle, and even before you get into the outer court, you've got to bypass the tribe of Judah. All the tribes were gathered around the, um, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and it just so happened that it was a tribe called praise that you had to pass by. That's why we know that when we come into God's presence, we come in with praise. We come in with thanksgiving. And so you come past, and the first thing you see is the altar. And the altar speaks of the sacrifice that the priests, um, you know, they would sacrifice the animals. They would prepare for that uh, there. And, and so the first thing we recognize is the ultimate sacrifice that Christ uh, gave for us on the cross. And so you go through all of these until you get to the very end in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, which symbolizes the manifest presence of God. And so it was funnily enough, while I was praying the tabernacle prayer, I came across this uh, prayer, and, and it's also the title of this message. And so I want to talk to us about a prayer that I've called Crosswords, Crosswords. And it's basically the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. When Christ was on the cross, there are seven different times that he speaks. And each one of these phrases, each one of these sayings has significance. It has special meaning. And, and so what I do is I will write them out and I will pray specifically. And so that's what I want to kind of teach about today. And so um, I'm going to start by uh, just putting this here. And I do apologize for my handwriting. Um, I did ask my 16-year-old boy if he could help me out. He's got freakishly neat handwriting for a teenager, and, uh, but he said, I'm not getting on that stage. So anyway, all good. And so um, when you look at um, the cross, there were, there were seven sayings of Jesus. And, and in, in, uh, in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. It's the number of fulfillment. Uh, we see this pattern repeated throughout scripture. When they took Jericho, they were instructed to walk around it for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they had to walk around seven times. Um, when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh had a dream twice of seven cows eating seven other cows, seven grains of corn eating others. And what that represented was seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Uh, and so this is repeated all throughout Scripture. And so when Jesus specifically speaks seven phrases from the cross, it's something for us to take notice of. 
And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk through each one of the sayings and I'm going to talk about how we are to apply it as a, in our prayer life. Because I don't know if we, sometimes, you know, we, we come to have our devotions or we come to pray and after you've asked God bless you and bless your cat and bless your dog and bless your goldfish and help you at work and give you food, sometimes you kind of run out of things to pray about, you know what I mean? And you think, well, I've ticked that box, I've done it, I'm on my way. But what, what I uh, want to teach here is not a specific formula to follow, but they're basically touch points that you can take notes. And I would really encourage you, if you've got your iPhone, if you've got your phone or device, open up notes, take this. If you've got a pen and paper, uh, write this down. Um, one, one preacher said that note takers are history makers. So uh, you can be a history maker just by taking notes. There will be a test after this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I, would, I would invite you to take notes and to actually apply this. Um, because I know I don't know about you, but uh, I love church, and um, sometimes you know it's great to get you know inspiration. It's great to get encouragement, but I can get that on YouTube. Um, sometimes we need impartation. Sometimes we need application. We need handles. Give me something that I can grab a hold of and I can apply in my life because my life is hard and I need something practical. So if you're like me and you want some practical things, then I want you to really lean in today um, and, and take some notes and, and then apply this. So crosswords, that's what we're speaking on today. And so the first phrase that um, I want to talk about, this is the first statement of Christ from the cross and um, it comes from... Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And Jesus speaks from the cross to those around him. And he prays and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Roman soldiers are gambling for his garments below him. Religious leaders are standing at a distance and scoffing. Passerbys are hurling insults. Even the people that are crucified with him are having a go at him. Jesus is unrecognizable at this point. He has been beaten and tortured so bad that the prophet Isaiah said that he was disfigured beyond human recognition. He basically looked like an animal. You could not determine whether that he was human because not only did they beat him, but they spat on him. They ripped out the hair from his beard. Uh, he, he was so tortured to the point where he was hanging there. And on top of all of that, people are hurling insults, ridiculing and mocking him. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all of that, he turns and instead of condemning them, instead of doing any, he, he had the power to call down a legion of angels. But instead of all of that, he prayed and he said, Father, forgive them, forgive them for they know not what they do. So here's the first point in the sayings from the cross. The first point is pardon. Jesus told a story of a king who had a servant who owed him the equivalent of billions of dollars. There was no way this servant was going to pay him back. So the king canceled it, gave him a royal pardon. That same servant went out 
and he met a colleague of him, of his, who owed him a couple of hundred bucks. And he grabbed him around the throat and he said, you owe me, pay me now. The king had actually pardoned the servant who owed him billions of dollars because that servant cried out for mercy and the king cancelled his debt, gave him pardon. But then that same servant went out and the guy who owed him a couple of hundred dollars, he demanded that he pay. And when he couldn't, he threw him in prison. Well, this scandal made its way all the way back up to the royal palace. The king heard about it, dragged that servant in and he said, what is this that I hear? I forgave you of your debt and how is it that you are not able to forgive him of his? And so the king actually had him in prison until he was able to pay that back. Jesus finishes this story by saying, so will it be for those of us who cannot forgive others what God has forgiven me, what God has forgiven us. You, you see, I have a debt that I cannot repay. If at the end when I stand before God and it comes up on the screen, I am spiritually bankrupt. When they list all of my sins, all of my faults, I'm standing there and I'm swiping my card and it's coming up insufficient funds. There is no way that I can pay for that. But praise be to God that Jesus steps in and he says, no, 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 I have covered that cost. I have paid that debt. He can't afford it, but because of his faith in me, I've paid it for him. That's actually what forgiveness does. And so in light of the fact that as believers, we have been pardoned by the King, here's the second part of each prayer point. We then pardon other people. In light of the fact that we have been forgiven, now, because I'm aware of it, I can actually forgive other people. The hurt wasn't right. What they did to you, that none of that was right. But God's saying, listen, you cannot carry that load of unforgiveness. You cannot harbor that offense. John Bevere has got a phenomenal book called The Bait of Satan that talks about this, about how Satan sets traps for believers and it's around offense. And then when he, he gets his hook in, he, he actually, we actually give him a place. And we know that a foothold in our lives end up becoming a stronghold that ultimately ends up destroying our household. But it all starts with that one first foot. So Jesus is on the cross and the first thing he says is, forgive them. He's basically saying, devil, there is no way you're getting any hold in my life. I'm near the end and so I'm going to forgive. That's what forgiveness does. And so as we have been pardoned by the king, we now have the ability to pardon others. Amen. Here's, here's the second point. The second saying of Jesus from the cross is Luke chapter 23, verse 39 to 43. It says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is hanging on the cross and there are two thieves, one on either side. And at one stage, they're both ridiculing him and accusing him. But then one of them turns and, and he says to the other thief, he said, what we are getting, we deserve. We deserve this. But he's done nothing to deserve this. And so he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. This actually speaks of preparation. Jesus has, sorry, 
It, it, it isn't preparation. That's the next one. It's promise. It's promise. I've got a newfound respect for all of our school teachers that have got to navigate this whole thing. Um, it's promise. And, and the key of this promise is that the promises of God in Christ we know are yes and amen. But this promise is actually for today. Sometimes when we think of a promise, we think of the sweet by and by. We think of something down the road that one day. But Jesus is saying to the thief, he says, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. And I'm saying to someone, today, God has already set promises for you. When you got up this morning, there was mercy already waiting for you because His mercies are new every morning. When you walk, goodness and mercy are trailing behind you because that's what it says in Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Well, guess what? All the days also means today. So whatever has happened in your life, there is goodness and mercy that is following you. It is a promise for today. So when I get to this part, I pray, thank you for today's promises, Lord. There are things that I'm believing for in the future. There's things that I'm believing for for the next generation. But I thank you for today's promise because I need something today. I'm going through stuff that I need your promise today. And Jesus says, awesome, I've got something for you. And for every single person here, he has something for you. He spoke to the thief that was next to him and he said, today, not one day, not when you get your act together, not when you clean yourself up. No, 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 it is today. When you place your faith in me, that promise is coming today. Amen. Here's a third one, Luke chapter 19, verse 26 and 27. And this one is preparation. Jesus is looking at his... Um, at his mother Mary and uh, she's standing with John the beloved disciple and he says to her woman this is your son and he says to uh, uh, to the beloved disciple John son this is this is your mother um, and, and and what Jesus is is doing here this is the amazing thing Jesus is going through excruciating pain there's ridicule there's all of this carrying the weight of the sins of humanity and in the midst of that, he reaches down and he tells two people that he has prepared something for them. He has made arrangements. For everyone here, you need to understand that God has prepared something that is specific for you. Before he went to the cross, he told his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place, but I will come back. In, in, in Psalm 23, after you get through the valley of the shadow of death, right on the other side, verse 5, there is a table prepared for you in the midst of your enemies. So Jesus knows that you're going to get through that valley. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to the trouble of preparing a table. But he has prepared something ahead of you for you to, 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 to possess and to have because he knows you're going to make it through. He knows you're going to get through this, this dark time that you might be going through right now, the anxiety, the depression, the sense of overwhelming dread, all of that stuff. He's saying, if you would just move, if you would just keep going, understand that I have prepared something for you. So we pray and, we, and I thank God. I thank you, Lord, that you've prepared something for me. I may not be able to see it. I may not be able to see the table because I'm in a dark valley, but I'm believing. I may not be able to see the place that you've prepared for me, 
but I'm believing that it's there and I receive it. The fourth thing, it comes from Matthew 27. The Bible says in verse 46 that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this fourth one speaks of proximity. Because Jesus reached all the way back to the fall at Eden and all the way forward to the finale at Armageddon, and he took every generation's sin, every generation's guilt, he took all of that. And because the Bible, the Bible says he didn't just bear our sins, he became our sin. It separated him from God. That's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden when they sinned, because sin always separates us. So in that moment of separation, because he was handling the sin of humanity, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually fulfilling a prophetic word that was spoken about that. And he's actually quoting it. But he was separated for that time because he bore our sin. Do you know what I do when I get to this point? I thank God that I will never, ever be separated from God. Because He was separated, I will never be separated because He promised, I will send someone to you who will never leave you and forsake you. He is the counselor. He is the comforter. He is the paracletos, the one that comes alongside of me. And there is nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No created thing, no height, nor depth, nothing in the past, nothing in the future, no angel, no demon. The Bible says there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We will always have close proximity because on the cross, he allowed himself to be separated. And so the fifth one is the fifth one. It says in John chapter 19, verse 28, I am thirsty. This speaks of provision. Jesus, realizing that everything had been done in order to fulfill scripture, he speaks these words, I am thirsty. And, and this is the incredible thing because only days earlier, he stood up at the great feast and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of their belly will flow rivers of living water. Jesus allowed himself to be empty and thirsty so that every single person will never know what thirst is. The promise is that those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. They will always be satisfied. But because he emptied himself out and he thirsted, we will never ever have to experience that. He will always satisfy every need. There will always be water for us. There will always be sustenance. There will always be. But he emptied himself out and he allowed himself to thirst so that we will never ever have to experience that. And the next one is uh, in John chapter 16, John chapter six, uh, 19, verse 30. And Jesus says, it is finished. This speaks of purpose. Jesus is basically saying, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. What I came to do, I have completed it. I have completed it. And he says, it is finished. It, it, it echoes what uh, the Apostle Paul says when he gets to the end. And he says, 
I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I have finished. I have finished well. I have done what you have called me to do. I have fulfilled the assignment on my life. And that's what Jesus is doing here. So when I get to this part, I pray for the purpose that God has given me. Every single one of us has been gifted and given a specific assignment for us to fulfill. I can't be looking at what other people are doing. I've got to focus on what God has called me to do. And I've got to fulfill that thing. Um, for, for the last few months, I've been um, helping my son after he got his uh, learner's permit um, to drive. Every parent who has been through that, trying to help your child get their 100 hours on the road, you know the trauma and you know the stress that I'm talking about. But um, when he first started, one of the biggest challenges was actually just helping him stay in his lane. And because the tendency was sort of via, and I said, don't go into that lane, That'll be destructive because there's oncoming traffic. So it, it was always about positional, uh, you know, being able to position the car, being aware of the adequate amount of distance to the sides. And, and even when I was telling him, hey, stay in your lane, I could hear the Holy Spirit telling me the same thing. You, stay in your lane. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You, you, you want to try and veer off into that? It's going to end in a crash. Stay in the lane that I've put you in fulfill the assignment and do the thing that I've called you to. And, and I don't know who this is for, but maybe there is someone here and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I've got the strength for this. I want you to know that God has grace for you and that God is going to empower you to fulfill the assignment that He has placed on your life. It is the purpose, the unique purpose that He's given us. And the final one, the final one, and this is in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus, knowing everything has completed, he prays this prayer and he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And so this actually speaks of promotion. It wasn't a full stop. It was a comma. It was just Jesus saying, this is just transitioning. And for every single person, every believer, the Bible says, who dies in the Lord, to be absent in the body is to be present with God. That when we go from this life to the next, we are just transitioning. We are stepping from one room into another and we are being promoted into glory. It's, it is to receive the reward that is waiting for us and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end, it was about promotion. But this point here in our prayer is, is also about the promotion that God has for us here and now. That it was never His will that we would stay stuck. That there is always something that God wants us to do. There is always upward movement. So it is praying and thanking God specifically for that thing. Amen. So, so here's, here's the thing about this. This is... This is the seven things that I go through. And there are two parts to this when I go through each point. The first part I call thank you. And that's where I thank God. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for the promises that you have for me today. Thank you that you have prepared something, even though I don't see it, but I thank you for it. Thank you that I'll never be separated. Thank you for the proximity that I have. Thank you for the provision that you have, that I will never be empty, that I'll never be thirsty because of what you have given. Thank you for the purpose that you have placed me on earth for. Thank you for the promotion 
that I have in store for me. That's the first part is thank you. The second part is called I do. So after I thank God for pardoning me, I now pray, who do I need to pardon? Who do I need to forgive? What are the promises that I can help other people fulfill? What is the thing that I can help other people? What is something that I can participate and partner with you in order to prepare for other people? What is, what is another way that I can help bring people that are on the outside into closer proximity to you? What is the provision that I can give to to help others? And what is someone else's purpose that I can sow into and help fulfill? And how can I help other people be promoted? This is the part. It is thank you and then I do. It's twofold. We always thank God for each thing and now we listen. What can I do? What do you want me to do? So here's the thing. As I go through all of that, there is this pattern in Scripture that is just kind of freakish. It is a recurring theme with all sorts of things. I'll give you an example. In the Old Testament, there was a a guy named Joseph. He was sold into slavery and betrayed by his brothers for a handful of silver. In the New Testament, Jesus himself was sold into uh, and arrested and betrayed for a handful of coins. Uh, in the Old Testament, there is a deliverer that rises up. And at the time he rise, he's rising up, um, the king is killing all the boys in that kingdom. He goes on to deliver a nation out of slavery. In the New Testament, another young man arises. And at his time of his birth, that king is also killing the young boys in that area. And so he rises and he delivers all of humanity out of sin. So there's always these patterns and they're recurring themes. It's like God is telling us, take notice. Jesus is saying, do you want to know when I'm coming back? Here's how you'll know. Watch the times because just as in the days of Noah, just as in the days of Lot, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is giving us these patterns. And so the reason I'm telling you this is this is actually part of a bigger picture. The seven sayings of Christ on the cross, they also correspond with the seven days of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, not only that, but on the other hand, they also correspond with the culmination in Revelation. And there are seven churches that God speaks of, seven churches. So watch how this works. On the first day of creation... God created light. To the first church in Revelation, it's the church of Ephesus, God says, as you overcome, I will give you permission to eat from the tree of life. So it's the tree of life. Watch what happens. Because I've been pardoned, when I pardon others, it creates light. And it culminates in me eating from the tree of life. That's how this works. It goes on for each point. Every time I do one of these things, it creates something, but then it culminates in something else. This is actually a pattern in Scripture that I believe that God is saying, if you would actually take notice, if you would apply this, watch what will happen. And so here's what I'd like for us to do. And I do... uh, I'm sorry that I don't have time to continue to go into it, but um, into the others. But what I'm believing for is that if you would actually take a hold of this 
And here's what I'm asking for all of our church to do. Every day for the next seven days, we pray this. We go through and we pray these things. It's going to culminate next week on Resurrection Sunday. My belief is that as we do this, that God is going to bring turnaround. He's going to bring breakthrough. There are things in our lives that we've been waiting for, asking for. There are areas that we've been feeling bound in. And I believe that God's going to break those things off. This isn't some magic formula. All I, all I recognize is that God's hand is, is amazing in this, that it's, it's like what it says in, in Colossians. If we've got that scripture in Colossians 1, it says that the fullness, it pleased the Father that in Him, Christ, the fullness should dwell. And by Him, He reconciled all things to Himself. By Him were the things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His Christ. That God through the cross has actually reconciled everything to Him. Everything in the past and everything in the future. That when we participate in this, that it creates certain things, but it also culminates in certain things. That it's, it's God reaching all the way back and then all the way forward. And it's bringing it to the centrality of the cross. That in Him, everything is centered. Church, can I get you to stand on your feet and apologize if, if this has kind of been heavy with content to being a little bit, it might take a little bit just to process after you've had a big meal. Sometimes you've just got to sit and let it digest. And um, But here's what I want to do. I don't want us just to get a whole bunch of information. I want us to apply this right now. So on the first day or, or the first saying of Christ, it was about forgiveness. Day one, God creates light, nothing else. When we are forgiven ourselves, light comes in and it dispels darkness. We are no longer walking in darkness. But here's a great thing. It culminates in being able to eat from the tree of life. You know where the tree of life is? It's in Eden. It's an invitation to go back to Eden. It's an invitation to reconcile and restore the things that were lost through sin. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.